Turn to Titus chapter 2. Amen. I can tell you from my perspective, this is much better than any game seven. Being in the house of God with God's people. I didn't get much of a response to that, but. (laughs) Amen. Titus chapter 2. And I want to kind of continue a little bit from where we started this morning. There were two recent stories that captured really worldwide attention. One of them had a happy ending. Um, Well, fairly happy ending. The other uh, had a fairly, fairly tragic ending. I'm talking about the first story, which was of a little three year old boy who somehow fell into an enclosure at a zoo in Cincinnati where there was a 425-pound gorilla. You may have seen the video of it. I did uh, the video of the gorilla grabbing this little boy and dragging him around uh, through the water there uh, in the enclosure. They, of course, had to take extreme action, and before the gorilla... Uh, had the chance of possibly killing the boy, Uh, they shot and killed uh, the gorilla, but not before uh, the gorilla had been with this little boy for 10 minutes. Imagine uh, how long that must have seemed for the parents as they're watching helplessly, uh, not being able to do anything. Of course, the other story that had a tragic ending Uh, happened in Orlando at Disney World, and it was the story, I think this past week it was, uh, of an alligator snatching a two-year-old boy from the shore of a lagoon at Disney World, and uh, they frantically searched for the child and found him, I think, the next day, uh, having been drowned. Now, there is a lesson here that I want to use uh, as an analogy. How close are you going to allow your children to get to something that ultimately can rule and possibly destroy their lives? Now, in both of these cases, at least as far as what we know now, the parents weren't at fault. I mean, who... Uh, here has not lost track of a two- or three-year-old child uh, at one time or another for a few seconds. That's all it took uh, for this little boy to detach from the parents uh, and then tumble into the enclosure where this gorilla was. Uh, and the Disney World story is a little bit different. There was a, uh, a man-made beach there. <clears throat> it looked fairly inviting for a, a family to come and spend a few hours. A little boy is... Uh, Uh, paddling uh, in the shallow part of the water there. Uh, It looked very inviting. And, of course, there were alligators that were present. Now, we cannot imagine either of those parents knowingly putting their children in that kind of danger. If those parents knew that there were alligators in that lagoon They would never have allowed their little child to play and paddle around in the water. And the parents of the boy who fell into the gorilla enclosure, they would never have put him into the enclosure. 
or even allowed him if it was, they knew how dangerous it was. They apparently didn't know that there was a way that he could get into that enclosure. You know that no parent would, would even think about putting their child in that kind of danger. But yet we're living in a world today where that kind of thing is happening all the time. Parents are allowing their children into a position many times that initially looks harmless. You're not looking down the road. You're not discerning the danger that is actually at work here. Uh, and many parents uh, essentially uh, are putting their children into the hands of the gorilla and allowing them to paddle in water near where they know alligators are. But somehow it's going to work out and be okay. So I want to talk to you today about the beast within, responsible parenting. And I want to challenge you today uh, from Titus chapter 2. We're going to read just a few verses uh, here. Uh, and I want to talk about the beast within. For the grace of God that brings salvation. This is verse 11 of Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God... For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Let's pray, bowing our heads. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together here tonight to hear your word, to be ministered to, to be challenged. Lord, I pray that you would speak clearly, bring conviction, for there is so much at stake and we thank you for what you are doing. I want to preface my sermon by saying that it's not accusatory. But listen, we are living in a very lethal and in a very dangerous age. And there are a lot of parents parenting today without realizing and recognizing the dangers uh, uh, that are very close at hand. And so I want to preface my statement, my sermon, uh, by saying that this message is intended to be a warning, not intended to offend or hurt or be uh, unnecessarily judgmental, but I want to present truth and revelation that will help equip you uh, to recognize the dangers of the world that we live in, especially as it pertains to children. So let me first of all talk about this beast within. What are we talking about? There was a lot of outcry, uh, as you probably read and heard, about having to shoot this 425-pound gorilla. Now, that's big. I know because my son-in-law, Jerry, used to weigh that much. He's lost a lot of weight now. Uh, he's more down to his fighting weight, but I uh, I use that as my reference point to imagine 
uh, how big, I hope they're not live streaming this, but anyway, how big that gorilla was. I read one article that this woman was grieving uh, about having to kill this beautiful creature and this animal, uh, and she referred to the animal uh, as being almost human. Now, there are some interesting facts in that regard. And there are some analogies and conclusions that we can draw. The animal that most resembles man, they are known as primates. That's a term that means a higher order of animals. They're called primates. The closest of these animals that close that are the closest to resembling man are great apes, chimpanzees, orangutans, and gorillas like the one that was shot. They tell us that about 98% of the DNA in your genes is exactly the same as a chimpanzee. And some of you wives are looking at your husband and saying, I can believe that. Making you and I, biologically anyway, as close to a chimpanzee, as a horse is to a zebra. Now, hang on. I'm going somewhere here. Now, of course, we don't believe, as Darwin introduced, that we have a common ancestor with these creatures. We don't believe that. But there are some analogies and parallels and contrasts uh, that I want you to consider. Think about the theory of evolution. Uh, Ernie taught a great uh, Sunday school uh, using a video uh, series on the subject uh, of evolution versus creationism last year. Evolution is the idea that man is uh, evolving and growing away from his animal nature. Evolution is the theory. As I said a moment ago, Charles Darwin uh, stated that we have a common ancestor. All of us uh, have stemmed from uh, the ape, the chimpanzee, the orangutan, uh, and the gorilla. That's what he believed. And he believed and hypothesized the theory of evolution, which means uh, we are evolving and becoming less animal-like and more human-like as we move along and up the food chain of life. The idea is that man was once an animal with the nature and the instincts of an animal. Animals do not have a soul. We know that. Animals are totally governed by whatever instincts God put in that creature. They don't have free will. They don't have choice. And so Charles Darwin hypothesized that we have evolved from that. We have uh, moved away from being bound by these instincts uh, and somehow developed free will and intellect and such things. Now, we know that is false. We know that we were created by God. Can you say amen? Genesis says, then God said, 
Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we believe in an opposite kind of circumstance. Man was created perfect. Adam was firing on all cylinders in his intellect, his life, his intelligence, the level of dominion that he established in the world that he lived in. No sickness, no death, no violence in nature. Man had total dominion over the creation of God. And then sin was introduced. And so, in a sense, you and I believe in devolution, where man has devolved from being godlike, devolving to the position of being bound by sin, losing dominion, being governed by our base instincts and passions and lusts. Man has devolved into animal-like instincts and conduct. We are not progressing in that sense, but we are regressing. And we've taken on a nature now, by virtue of Adam's sin, driven by appetites, that we don't govern. We don't control. There may be a point in your life where you do govern whether you're going to become a slave, but when you become a slave, your will is no longer involved. You don't choose to smoke after you're addicted. You just do it. You're bound. If you're bound by drugs and alcohol, your will has been crushed and broken, and you're driven by an animal-like instinct that is destructive, it's ruining your life. You even may know that, but you can't seem to govern and get dominion over these impulses and these instincts that are governing your life. Verse 12 talks about ungodliness. And worldly lusts. He's describing the human condition without God, which is a condition of being bound and being a slave to sin and being governed and being ruled and having an evil authority operating over your life that expresses itself in your emotions with anger and bitterness and rage and violence and jealousy and unforgiveness, all kinds of toxic emotions. It can manifest itself in your life by virtue of various sorts of addictions that I've already mentioned and referred to uh, the inability to bond relationally, uh, the inability to love long-term uh, and maintain covenant uh, and forgive when offended. Uh, you see, there's an umbrella over our lives that governs, uh, that rules, uh, that dictates, uh, and it inspires uh, the conduct uh, with which we express uh, our behavior. Thirty-five times... We find the word lust in the Bible. That's what I'm aiming at right now. Lust is the beast within. Lust is what results in your inner struggle. 
It is your old nature. It is your impulses and instincts towards sin and ungodliness, towards those things that destroy your life, displease God, violate relationships, and work against your physical, spiritual, and emotional health and well-being. Ephesians chapter 2 says, Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. That's the, that's the beast within. That's the monster uh, on the inside uh, that craves, uh, that longs, uh, that has an appetite, uh, that has to be fed, uh, and that has to be satiated uh, and satisfied. Uh, and he said, among whom also uh, we conducted ourselves uh, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling uh, the desires of the flesh and of the mind, uh, and were by nature the children of wrath, uh, just as others. These are the appetites for sin that we have. These are the patterns of behavior that we keep repeating over and over again uh, that are destructive. Uh, We rationalize them. We make excuse for them. Uh, We justify them. But they are destructive patterns of behavior. We can't seem to break the stranglehold that they have over our lives. We can know something is wrong. We can know something is destructive. Why then can't we stop ourselves from doing it? It's the beast within. It's lust that demonically inspired drives us by virtue of the nature that we have taken on because of sin. They did an experiment with Julio. Julio is a monkey. They put a computer in front of him, and they taught him that the image on the computer, if he could get the image, the right one, he would be rewarded with orange juice, very sweet orange juice. And so the image was connected with him getting this orange juice. But what they did was they would frustrate this monkey. He'd get the image, but the juice would not arrive very quickly, as it had before. Or it would come after a delay. Or they would water it down and not put as much sugar in it. And they discovered that when the juice didn't arrive or was late or diluted, Julio would get very frustrated, very angry, uh, would make unhappy noises uh, and become very moody and perplexed. And what they also discovered was uh, that something physiological was happening uh, in Julio's brain. Uh, A new pattern emerged, and the pattern uh, was a craving. Listen to me very carefully, a craving. When Julio anticipated the juice, after having gotten the image on the computer by pushing the right button, and then he anticipated it, but he didn't receive it, a neurological, physiological dynamic took place because uh, there was a pattern now uh, that was being established uh, uh, in his brain uh, that was associated with desire uh, and then frustration uh, when that desire wasn't fulfilled. Julio saw the cue. He started anticipating uh, the arrival of this sweet orange juice. 
But as I said, if the juice didn't arrive, that joy, that anticipation became a craving that if unsatisfied drove Julio into anger or violence or depression. This is what happens when the beast within comes alive. What happens? Because every craving that you have for sin is not immediately satisfied. Once you taste, once you touch, once you cling to, once you experience, then the beast is awakened, and that beast is going to drive cravings in your life. You read uh, the book of James, and it talks about sin uh, begins uh, and is conceived uh, in the context of a desire and an appetite, uh, and then when you fulfill that, uh, it comes to life. So we need to examine the choice that we have. You can go in one of two directions in life. You can evolve by virtue of your conversion to Christ-likeness, away from your sinful nature. Or you can feed the beast within and continue to be a slave of sin. That's the stark contrast. That's the choice that you are making every single day of your life. Are you going to acquiesce to spiritual compromise and to laziness and to indulging your flesh? Or are you going to rise up and be a man or woman of God and walk in obedience? Now, this is especially critical when it comes to parenting. You hold the key in the early stages of a child's development as to which direction this is going to go. You know how destructive sin is. Your children do not. You set an example. Your love for God and of your children your interaction with them, what they experience in these earliest months and years of their life is so critical and so crucial. The brain triples in size between the age at birth, between birth and the age of three years. It triples in size, and so much is developed and established in this young life. You being a Christian. You being saved, you knowing how to love and forgive and keep covenant, you knowing how to guard your emotions, and you knowing how to speak and talk, you knowing how to conduct a marriage and how to interact with your children gives them such a huge advantage. And then bringing them to church, introducing them to relationships and ministry, they can learn about the things of God. And then by the age of five or six, seven or eight, they can get saved and be genuinely born again. And it increases by a huge degree the likelihood that they're going to be lifelong believers. Almost nobody gets saved past the age of 70. The numbers and the statistics are minuscule. The vast majority of people 
who gets saved and it becomes the lifelong commitment. It happens by the age of eight. Not 20 or 30. Obviously, when we got saved, I got saved at 19. I'm still living for God today. But the numbers and the percentages decrease exponentially. As you get older and older, the likelihood becomes less and less that a person is going to get saved, respond to the gospel, and then make it their whole life. We have the advantage of children's Sunday school and children's church where we have very purpose-driven ministries uh, by great personnel in our congregation uh, who have a burden for children, uh, who take time to teach uh, and instruct uh, and, and try to develop in them uh, an appetite for things like prayer and things like the Word of God uh, and things like love uh, and things like forgiveness. Uh, those ministries don't replace parenting, uh, but they're a huge asset uh, in our goal uh, to awaken in them a spiritual appetite. All these things are in place to help steer them in the right direction. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's not a guarantee. It's not 100% assurance, but the likelihood is increased dramatically when you Reach your children while they're young. I want to talk with you secondly about awakening the beast within. Here's the problem for parents. We live in very close proximity to what is very dangerous and lethal. This is why there's so much warning in the Bible, and I'll read a couple of verses in a moment. We are very close, but you better not get too close. When you go to a zoo, we have a zoo here in El Paso. There are other more world-famous type zoos. The one in San Diego is incredible. The one in Cincinnati, I hear, is a world-class zoo where this gorilla had to be shot. Listen, when you go into a zoo, you're coming in very close proximity to things that are dangerous and deadly. There are lions and tigers and gorillas and poisonous snakes, all kinds of creepy things. But when you go to a zoo, there are fences, there are cages. There are barriers to protect you. You can be close, but at the same time, you're not in danger. You could be six inches away from a deadly beast of some sort, but you're not in danger because there's a three-inch piece of plexiglass between you. Get close, but it can't touch you. Alligators are all over Florida. But you better not go where, they're, where they are. Better not let your, your children play anywhere near where there might be the presence of an alligator. You can go to that zoo, and you can get close. Just don't violate the barriers. 
Don't violate the fences and the cages and the various other types of barriers that are there. You can be close, but you better not get too close. This is a powerful analogy of the world that we live in. It's like walking around a zoo. There's danger all around us. There's things that are deadly and things that are lethal. But we have means of protecting ourselves, and the primary means of protecting children from the world is the parent. You're the fence. You're the barrier. You're the protective element where you can walk through and around and see and have a closeness to and exposure to. But there you are, just like the fences in a zoo and the cages in a zoo, there you are to keep them from getting too close. First John says, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's dangerous. How dangerous would it be for a parent to teach their child to love the world? To have an appetite for the things of this world? How misguided would it have been if the parents of the boy that was drowned by the alligator, if they had known the alligator was there, but let him play there anyway, hoping and thinking, well, maybe it'll be okay. Maybe he won't be affected. Or what parent would take that little boy to see the gorilla knowing there was a way for the, him to somehow get into that uh, gorilla enclosure. Uh, what parent who knew that would not hold on to that kid or not even go to the zoo to begin with? You do everything you could to protect. Why is it then that so many parents today as we are meandering through the zoo of life, and this world is a zoo in a lot of ways, you're not affording them the protection that they need to not be tainted and polluted by the world. James says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The world is enticing you to become its friend. Come on. Get a little closer. These little boys wandered too close, and they came under the power of a force greater than their ability to resist. You see, the question is, why would you as a parent willfully put your child in a position too close to where that beast within can be awakened. Listen, lust can take control of a child's life at a very young age. What we're witnessing today, and I've had to deal with it in the church, children as young as 8, 9, 10, and 11 years old indulging in pornography. When I was that age, I was playing with G.I. Joe. There was no thought, no understanding of that. But a lot of it stems from the appetites 
You took him to the zoo, no cages, no barriers, and you allowed them to indulge in the bilge that comes through the media at an early age. I've had parents get so upset with me. Pastor, how can you tell me not to allow my children to watch VeggieTales because your children are going to grow up and when they're 10, they're not going to watch, they'll want to watch VeggieTales. They're going to want to graduate to what adults are watching. And you've been there all along allowing that appetite to be fomented to grow and now there's a beast within. Lust. Listen very carefully. I'm a pastor. I deal with these issues. And the deep, tragic counseling sessions that I have to have with children. When I started my ministry 36 years ago, this wasn't happening. Now, because of various things, breakdown in family, uh, the incredible, uh, uh, horrible uh, 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 things that are coming up through the media, and, and it's normalized the culture to sexuality and violence. Uh, we don't think anything of it anymore. And little children uh, are growing up being exposed to that whole arena, and it is awakening the beast within. And they're now being driven by lust. And it's not just a sexual type of lust, it's a lust for violence. It's a lust for sexuality. It's a lust for things that are lethal and dangerous. You know how dangerous those things are. Your children do not yet know that the potential is that one day they may be looking at the gorilla from afar. The next they're going to be inside the gorilla cage and they're going to be controlled by a beast with which they have no power over. I couldn't find this gospel track, but I remember a gospel track. You, I don't remember the words of it. It was more of a picture thing. The first picture was of a little boy playing with a cute little monkey that he had found or had been given to him or something. He plays with it. It's cute. It's cuddly. It doesn't have very much strength. But every page you turn on this gospel track, the monkey gets bigger. And the monkey gets bigger. And pretty soon the monkey uh, is the one that's dictating. Uh, and by the end of this, uh, it is a full-blown gorilla that now has control over this little boy's life. I think we can all agree today that if young people are going to be successful in life, listen to me. Your philosophy of how you're raising your children is eventually going to play out because your children are going to become adults. What kind of adults are they going to become? Are they going to have a passion and a heart for the things of God? Are they going to be disciples and leaders? Are they going to be young men and women that are ready to live for God in this wicked, evil generation? Are they going to have the courage that's necessary? Are they going to be men and women of fortitude and strength and godly virtue? If they are going to become that, they're going to have to learn at an early age to rule over their appetites. 
And they learn that by watching you and by living within the confines and the boundaries that you provide for them. Do you remember the illustration I used a few years ago called the marshmallow test? This was a very famous experiment that was sponsored by Stanford University. And what they did was they took four or five-year-old boys and girls by themselves. They took them into a room. And then they had a little dish, and on the dish they put a marshmallow. And they put the marshmallow in front of the child. And they said, okay, Billy, you can eat that marshmallow right now. Enjoy it. Have at it. But if you wait for half an hour, you wait 30 minutes, you'll get another marshmallow. And the video of these children is quite funny. Now, some of them ate the marshmallow, but not all of them did. I mean, some of them were picking it up and smelling it and looking at it and holding it. Another little boy made up a little jingle, uh, I want another marshmallow, I want another marshmallow. Another one was gently banging his head on the table saying, no, 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 I won't eat it, no. So some of the kids ate the marshmallow. They couldn't control the appetite. But other kids managed to push back on the appetite and wait And they got the second marshmallow. They followed those children into adulthood. And without exception, the ones who could govern that appetite became successful. Your selfish appetites, your sinful appetites... Your appetites for pleasure over the things of God, your appetites for compromise, all of those things are going to foment and and they're going to strive to be satisfied. You're going to have to learn at an early age to push back on those cravings and those appetites. The older you get, the harder it is to get that monkey off your back. Titus, in our text, verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. At least in the formative years of a child's life, they need to see that. And where they're in a situation where they're not capable, they don't have the discernment to judge that something's dangerous, you provide a barrier for them. You don't let them walk into a cage where the gorilla is. You don't let them get close to an alligator. You don't let them play with a poisonous sink. You don't let them run across a busy street. You provide a guardrail, and you protect, and you watch over them. That is not only necessary in the physical realm of keeping them safe, but it's also necessary in the spiritual realm. And in the emotional realm, the admonishment is to serve God and master your flesh when you're young. I get so vexed when I hear parents talk about their children missing out because they can't go to movies and we don't 
have televisions and they can't run around with a bunch of uh, uh, lust-driven young people that are not saved from their school. We are harming them. It is thought uh, we're robbing them of their youth. No. What you're doing is uh, you're teaching them uh, and you're helping them uh, and you're encouraging them uh, to push back on those sinful appetites that are dangerous. Don't ever be ashamed. Don't ever apologize for doing that. Yes, I was responsible for making my children miserable at certain times in their life. No, you're not going. No, we're not doing that. No, this is not happening. Listen to what Solomon said. He didn't do it, but he said it. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. What does that mean? Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth. Remember. Live for. Be cognizant of. Relationship with. Please Him. And in order to please Him, you can't run around satisfying the beast within that wants to be fed. Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. And... The years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Listen, he's warning about something. And it is that the longer you wait, the harder it is. Do it now. Help your children marginalize their lust now by building barriers. Solomon didn't follow his own advice. You remember what he did. He gave in to every possible craving. Gave in to every lustful passion. And if you read the book of Ecclesiastes and some of the Proverbs, it left him miserable and it left him depressed. You see, it's not just our children. All of us. All of us are facing a monumental task. It's about saying no to lust. This is why our children rebel. There are these impulses. We are standing against those impulses, and they hate us for it at certain times. They want to run around. They want to indulge. They want to do. Don't ever apologize for creating boundaries or striving to create boundaries that you know will keep your children safe. Listen to what happened in Numbers 11. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept and said, Who will give us meat to eat? And so he called the name of the place Kibroth Hadava because they buried the people who had yielded to craving. It killed them. They got too close to the gorilla in the cage. They got too close to the lagoon. And they got themselves in a position where the beast within gained dominion and they lost their lives. So here's the admonition. Parents, you need to help your children when it comes to this. We want our children to avoid danger. But the world is saying, just give in. 
One parent became upset when a teacher was speaking to a five-year-old, and she thought she discerned homosexual tendencies in this five-year-old boy, and so she took it upon herself to begin to instruct him about homosexuality and how that's okay and that's good. The world is teaching, and and it is seeking to remove the barriers to advance are satisfying of cravings that are lethal. I mean, what kind of a child would you raise if you gave them whatever they want? If you allowed them to indulge every appetite, if you never said no. In some cases, what you're doing is you're cooperating with feeding an appetite that down the road is going to hurt them. There is, of course, a very critical area, and I want to just make a few comments about this. There's a critical area, the media, entertainment, and recreation, i.e. video games and things of that nature. When you prioritize those things, or you allow for indulgence in certain areas when your children are small, they don't see the harm that is going to come as a result of indulging in sexually explicit content or violent driven video games. The harm doesn't become apparent until down the road and sometimes way down the road when they become unproductive adults. And I think what happens a lot today is parents are exposing their children to the gorilla in the cage. They're putting their children in proximity to the alligator in the lagoon. And then when you see the potential damage sometime down the road, you try to reel it back and pull it in, but it's too late because you've already fomented an appetite and the beast within is now exercising dominion. Apparently, this father witnessed the alligator grabbing his son, and he tried to get his son away from the alligator, but he couldn't. Too late. Got too close. I've read a number of articles recently. My wife and I were, and I've seen a number of incidences like this. My wife and I were somewhere last week, I think in a restaurant. And the child couldn't have been any more than three years old. He had a pair of Beats headphones. Those things cost two or three hundred dollars. Two or three year old had his Beats headphones on, and he's following his parents looking at a small iPad, playing some sort of a game. I remember being in London, the Heathrow Airport there, waiting for my flight, and I saw a child in a stroller, couldn't have been eighteen months old. Same thing, headphones iPad. They say that a child as young as 18 months to two years can learn where the home button is and learn how to open apps and learn how to get games going. Listen to the title of these articles. You can look these up yourself. You do your own research. Using iPads to pacify and entertain children harms their development. 
Using an iPad can harm a toddler's learning and social skills. Wireless devices can be dangerous to your family. Not to mention the level of perversion, the level of sin, and the level of violence that some parents just simply allow their children to indulge in. Not realizing that you're putting your child in the hands of a beast. I googled today the the positive effects of television on children. Do you know, you may be able to find some, not one article came up. A lot of articles came up, but they're all negative. Why is that? Why is it after now a full generation or two of indulgence in media, why is it that every study... None of them talk about the benefits. And they're talking now about the harm, and it is scary and frightening. I watched a 14-and-a-half-minute video. We're going to make it available here, and I want every parent to get this video. It's a 14-minute talk from a pediatrician who's done research on how... Not just television and movies and this sort of uh, uh, thing, but he was more concerned about the iPads and the uh, phones and the access. Uh, He was talking about in this video, and research has been done, it's now a a validated, proven phenomena uh, that all of that indulgence, when a child is given an iPad at the age of two years old, and he's allowed to overindulge, It thwarts and stunts and hinders the development of his brain. That child needs living interaction with his mom and dad. That child needs to play with things like blocks and a ball and a truck and other things like that. It's that type of interaction that that starts formulating his brain. And they did scans of brains that were inside the head of a child who didn't have access to all that stuff and how it normally developed. And then a child, it's physiological. that it hinders the normal function and development of the brain. He talked about uh, videos, and they can be cartoons. And it can be a cartoon uh, about something that doesn't have any bad content, uh, but he referred to it as uh, rapidly sequenced media. This is where things happen quick. In a 10-second span, there are seven or eight events, and it moves like that. And that's what keeps the child's attention. And it's fast, and it's rapid, and they're running, and they're jumping. And there's all kinds of things going on. And this is what they're watching, and this is what they're being exposed to. And their brains have a reaction to all that. And then when you put them in school, they can't pay attention. They can't focus. They can't read a book. They can't listen to their teacher because they've been so inundated with rapidly sequenced type of media, whether it's a a, a video game or a cartoon or something like that. And again, the content itself doesn't have to be bad, just fast and rapid. It's going to mess them up. 
And it's going to hinder and undermine their ability to learn in a normal way. So I think, I mean, I can't go longer. I've already gone long enough. We have decisions to make because there is this thing called lust that you have to oversee in your children's lives. From the time they're born until the time they leave your home, you have to oversee how their appetites are satisfied. They're going to... You're going to witness uh, some very dangerous cravings uh, that begin to foment in their lives. And if you get out of the way and just say, well, I've got to let them indulge. I don't want them to hate me. Well, you know what, Mom and Dad? They may hate you. They may get angry. They may get upset. They may get vexed, but you're standing against the manifestation of love. You're keeping them out of the hands of a gorilla that can take control of their lives. And if you do this righteously, there's a good chance you can win the battle. The prodigal son left under the influence of his intense cravings. The father did not allow the boy to indulge his cravings while he was living in his home. The son knew that I've got to leave, and he did. And he went to a far country and blew his mind, did everything that he wanted to do, satisfied every craving, and ended up bankrupt and empty and lonely and lost and went back to his father and repented. It's interesting to note that he knew he had to leave. I'm not going to be able to indulge this living under the oversight of my dad. And what a tragedy it is when children are allowed to feed their sinful indulgences under the oversight of their parents. I have more to this sermon, but I'm going to wind this down now. We need a dimension of God's grace like we never have before. This is the most challenging in the most difficult time to raise children, simply because of all the things that are at work all around us that are trying to awaken the beast inside of your child. That beast can be awakened by their interaction with friends at school. That beast can be awakened by their indulgence on a device, by television, by movies and media. There's all kinds of things at work, and you as a parent, I mean, this world that we call a zoo is more so than it ever has been before, and wise parenting means that you oversee the skillful raising of your children. We don't isolate them. We don't put them in a cage and never let them out. We've got to walk through the zoo. We've got to meander through this world, but We know that we are in the world, we are not of the world, and God has equipped you. You can be the fence and the barrier and the guardrails for your children's lives if you'll commit yourself to that end. The first and foremost thing is you've got to master your own flesh and your own lusts and your own appetites and your own tendencies to compromise. You master that, provide for your children a powerful example then you've got to reach down and try to guide them and try to help them. And it is challenging. It is hard. There are moments when I've lost the battle. 
where sin has entered my home. And I know there are parents here who grieve over the sin that is raging in your children's lives tonight. You could be the best parent, do everything that you know how to do, and the monster still gets fed, doesn't it? Somehow those appetites, uh, those sinful appetites uh, that we tried to shield uh, and marginalize and guard them and protect them and keep them in church uh, and bring them uh, and and educate them and talk to them. Uh, Sometimes uh, we live in such close proximity, uh, there's breakthrough by the world. You can be the best parent and have a child who ends up in the hands of a gorilla. But if that's what's going to happen, let it be because we've made every effort. And then if you make every effort, even if they end up in the hands of the gorilla, there's a good chance that they will repent and they will return. And Because sin doesn't satisfy. Sin doesn't make you happy. They think they know better, but they don't. And they'll find that out one day in the bankruptcy and the emptiness of their sinful pursuits. But this is what we're dealing with today. And it's more of a challenge than ever before. That's why we need the grace of God. That's why we need this altar tonight. I want you to bow your heads. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Amen. God is good. I had a number of people telling me to preach short, and I did the opposite. I didn't mean to. Uh, And, of course, when they said, please preach short, they were just kidding. You know what would work? If you told me to preach long, then I would just to defy you, I'd preach short. But anyway, our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. We need an altar for parents to come to, for children to come to. You know the battle that you're dealing with. Lust that begins to foment. Now, earlier than ever, they're wanting to point and click on pornography. I never had to deal with 9 and 10 and 12 and 14-year-old children on pornography until the recent few years. Maybe I'm naive. Maybe I'm ignorant. Maybe it was going on a long time before that. I'm just saying from my experience. Listen, there's a beast within. And the devil is making inroads at every younger ages into our children. As a parent, this is a season to be alert and to be aware and to fight the battle and to do your best. We're living in a very dangerous and hostile environment. To raise children in. I encourage parents to go to the homeschool. It's about what I'm preaching on tonight. Go to the homeschool meeting tomorrow. Find out about. Maybe that's the route for you to go to help protect and guard and watch over your children in a more proactive way. I'm not saying I don't validate one or the other, but it may be the way that you can be proactive in providing your children a safer environment in order to navigate through this world. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, perhaps you're here tonight. You've come to church. You're not saved. You're not right with God. You don't know Jesus as your Savior, but you really want to know Him, and you really do want to be born again. You want to get right with God. I want to challenge you tonight to respond by allowing me to pray for you. That's all I want to do. You can be born again tonight. Your sins can be forgiven. Your life can be changed. God's presence, God's love, God's grace can be established in your heart. And if you're here today, tonight, and you're not right with God, and you want to get right with God, I want to pray for you. 
I want to believe that God can change you tonight, forgive your sin, and work a miracle in your life. And as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, nobody's moving around. If you'd like me to pray for you so that you can receive Christ as your Savior, I want to ask you if you would just lift your hand right up, right now, in the name of Jesus. Lift your hand right up. Pastor, I need to repent. I want to get my heart right with God. Maybe there are young children here. You can get saved at the age of 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 years old and genuinely be born again. I had a great conversation with a 12-year-old the other day. It was a discussion about the things of God, how to live for God, how to avoid sin, how to do right. Children think about these things. They have a conscience. Amen. And they want to do right. Lift your hand so that we can pray for you. Lift it high so that I can see it. Amen. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. Anyone else? I need Jesus. I want to pray. I want to repent. I want to get my heart right with God in Jesus' name. Lift your hand right up. Pastor, I'm ready right now. Amen. There's a number of hands of children that are going up. And you parents need to bring them to the altar. That's how they're going to remember this. I remember when my son Joe got saved at the age of five. We were in our car driving from one town to another in the middle of the desert. And he stuck his little head between the seats. Just told us that he wanted to get saved. And he started crying. We pulled the car over, made an altar. I led him to Christ. And we all still remember it to this day. Make an altar with your child. Anyone else? You're an adult, teenager. You need Jesus. You need to repent. You need to get your heart right. All right, so parents are going to bring children to the altar and pray with them. And there are parents here that you really need to get a hold of God for yourself and for your parenting and for your children. We all make mistakes. There's no doubt about that. Nobody's a perfect parent. But there are basic principles and elements that need to govern your parenting. We talked a little bit about it this morning. And tonight, we're dealing with a 425-pound gorilla that's called lust. That's going to start manifesting in your children's lives at an ever earlier age. I didn't deal with any of it. I became a teenager, started using drugs and drinking alcohol. The age of 12... As I said, we're still playing childhood games. That's not the world we live in any longer because the beast is awakened through media. They're watching sex and perversion and violence. All this fast-paced programming is affecting the physiological development of their brain. Your children need to learn to sit and read. They need to learn to sit and have a conversation with you. They need to learn to play with toys that make them think and create. One article I read said that building blocks are the best in toy ever invented by man. It's building. It's thinking. Children, if you're leaving with that, hours. But not anymore. They want the video. They want the fast pace. And it's hurting them. And you watch. They're going to turn into unproductive adults. You walk into homes that are filled with monitors and you think that's the way to go and you're indulging in all that stuff. 
How's that working out? How are they developing as adults now? What's the consequence long term? I know there's not a parent here that would put your children in the hands of a gorilla. Knowingly, this mother didn't, nor did this other family put their son in the hands, in the jaws of an alligator. It happened inadvertently and accidentally. But you and I are aware of the dangers. We know there's alligators in the lagoon. We know that a child can get into the gorilla cage. We don't watch them. That's the world we're living in. This is serious. It would be nice if children stayed two years old forever, but they don't. They grow. They develop. And I wonder how much of that beast and that monster and that lust is alive and working and being satisfied now. Because it never gets satisfied. It only grows with an ever more voracious, voracious appetite. You've got to curb, build barriers. Let's all stand. I want you to come. Most important thing is praying with our children at these altars tonight. Bring them, even if they didn't raise their hand, lead them in a sinner's prayer. Pray with them, fathers with your children, mothers with your children, both of you together if you're here together. And then I want you to take some time to really pray and consecrate your parenting and your family and your children to God. God, you've got to help us. We're living in a treacherous, toxic world. God, you have to give us grace. You have to help us. You have to provide us with courage so that we know what to do in the raising of our children. Thank you, Lord. We're going to sing quietly, playing music and singing quietly while you're talking to God and ministering to your children here at the altars tonight in Jesus' name. Coria ravila raba coria ravila raba shoria yendere ala ravila raba corio rodorobo sala ravila ramando rodorobo say Oh God you're worthy to be praised you're worthy to be glorified you're worthy to be exalted Lord your name is above every name and there is no other given whereby we must be saved but the name of Jesus Coria ravila raba coria ravila ramando rodorobo sala ravila ramanda. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Father, touch every heart here today. Oh, God, you minister to every life. Thank you, Lord, for grace. Thank you for strength. Thank you for favor. Thank you for dominion. Thank you for courage. Thank you for love. Thank you for wisdom. Thank you for your word, oh God, that defines the way we need to go, Lord.
Yes, I want us all to stand, if we could, tonight at these altars. There really is holy ground, and I know there's a lot of heartache associated with raising children. The trouble, the sin, the difficulty, the problems that parents endure are agonizing and they are heartbreaking. And I want you to bow your heads tonight. We're going to pray for unsaved children. We're going to pray for our children that are with us here tonight, that God would help us. God, you help me to provide a safe environment for my children so they don't end up in the hands of a gorilla. And if they do end up in the hands of a gorilla, it's not because I didn't provide a safe environment. They're going to make their choices. They have a sinful desire and appetite already. The question is, is it going to grow, become unmanageable, and then take dominion of their lives? Oh, God, help these parents, Lord. You know their heart and their love for their children. You know the agonizing prayers that mothers and fathers pray, the pain that they endure because children are backslidden, Lord. God, give us your compassion for them, your love, your willingness to forgive, but never let us indulge their sin. Let us never acquiesce to their demands to indulge their sinful appetites. Help us to have the courage as parents to make a stand for God. And for righteousness. Let's pray together now tonight. Dear God in heaven, right now, Lord, I am dedicating myself and my children to God. We live in a wicked world. Lord, I cannot do this by myself on my own. I need your grace, your wisdom, your guidance, your direction. I pray for my children right now, laying hands on them, that you would impart through me into their hearts a desire for the things of God, awaken in them an appetite for righteousness and obedience an appetite for your word, for worship, and for right doing. I break the curse of the beast within, of lust, of sinful appetite. Lord, I take dominion right now over it in my life, and I take dominion in it over my children's lives. I establish godly authority over my family. In my household, help me, O God. Give me grace. And I thank you in Jesus' name. And Lord, right now we are all praying together for all children that are unsaved, that are backslidden, or who have never known the Lord. God, we pray conviction. Break through the sin and the rebellion and the hardness of heart. And help us. To get them out of the jaws of the alligator, out of the hands of the gorilla, 
I claim them, O God, by grace, work in their lives, bringing them to repentance. And God, I thank you in Jesus' name. Let's give God praise. Hallelujah. Oh, God, I thank you, I praise you, I glorify you, I worship you, oh, God. Oh, God, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God loves our children more than we do. He's the one that put his love in us for our children. He has greater love, greater compassion. And he's available to help and provide grace and give strength and bring conviction under repentance. Let's trust him. Let's renew our prayer for unsaved loved ones. And let's maintain vigilance over our own children. Amen. You can return to your seats. Let's sing that same song if you could lead us in that one and let's worship God just as we dismiss. Oh, yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. dismiss, and we want to go rejoicing, thanking God for all that he's done. I'm going to ask if uh, Raul Regosa would lift your voice and close in prayer. Don't forget, church, on Wednesday night, I'll be here preaching uh, this coming Wednesday evening, bring people that need Jesus. Next weekend, of course, is our three-on-three basketball tournament. The following weekend is our God and Country uh, outreach on July 2nd, so great things uh, Uh, coming. Let's be in prayer, believing God for great things. And uh, as we dismiss, Brother Raul, would you pray?